0: Come on. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. What I really want to preach on today is get your vision back. Get your vision back. Turn to someone next to you and say, get your vision back. Some of y'all don't even realize it, but you've lost some vision. You've lost a perspective on life, on love, on people. And what we see in the story of Saul converting to Paul and what God does is God gives him a fresh vision. Saul thought he was seeing things, but he was seeing things through a filter. He was seeing things through the wrong perspective. He was seeing himself, God, others, everybody else through the wrong filter. And it reminds me of a story I heard, true story about a guy named Alfred. And um, I think it's a story we could all maybe relate to. In the late, someone's calling right now. I almost want to answer the phone and just be like, hey, what's up? This is Pastor Paul. Let's talk. But in the late 1800s, there was a man named Alfred. True story. He woke up one day and he started to read the newspaper and he saw his name in the obituary column. It said, Alfred Noble, the merchant of death, the man who invented more ways to kill people than there ever was, the inventor of dynamite. See, Alfred had invented dynamite and more people had died because of his invention, his life than, than any other person out there. So as he was reading his own obituary, the newspaper said that he was the one who died. It was actually his brother, it wasn't him. And he could have sued the newspaper, but instead he decided to spend the last 10 years of his life to change his obituary. He decided to change his legacy. Alfred Noble started a trust fund that would honor people who brought peace into the world. He called this award the Nobel Peace Prize Award, named after himself, giving away big amounts of money every year and awards for anyone who did something to bring peace into the world each year. He left a massive fund of money from all the money he made of inventing dynamite instead of being remembered as the merchant of death. He became known as the Man of Peace, the Nobel Peace Prize Award. On his gravestone was a quote Every man ought to have the chance to correct his obituary in midstream and write a new one. Every man should have the chance to correct his obituary in midstream and write a new one. Maybe you came in here today and you go, man, I should really change my life. I wonder if God has grace for me. If there's one thing we can learn from the story of Saul is that every man, every woman, every young adult, every married person, every single person is a candidate for the grace of God to change your heart, to get your your vision back, to figure out who God's called you to be, And we can't determine the legacy we receive, but we can determine the legacy we're gonna leave, amen? All right, let's go to Acts chapter eight, verse one. And Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. Stephen was a martyr, the first man to be stoned to death for his faith, the first man after Jesus to die for what he believed in. He preached a sermon that day, last week we talked about it. We've been in this series now for eight weeks. And we talked about how Stephen preached a sermon of forgiveness. While he's being stoned to death, while he's being killed, slandered against, lied about, people are making up the craziest things about Stephen. He says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. If Stephen has the power to forgive people who are killing him, you have the power to forgive your father. You have the power to forgive your son your brother, your sister, your mom. On that day, Saul was watching and a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. My version in the Bible says he ravaged the church. He was like a ravenous wolf. He was obsessive. Saul had one of those personalities that once he saw something, he couldn't let it go. Once he felt something, he became obsessed about it. He was an obsessive personality. Some of y'all have that same personality. And, and, and the beautiful thing about Saul and God's story is that God doesn't take that personality away. He just channels it in a better direction. That God doesn't want to erase who He's created you to be. He doesn't want to erase your personality. You might think, man, I'm I'm so addictive, I'm so obsessive. But God says, What if I could channel that energy in a healthy direction? Instead of being obsessed with killing the church, God channels that obsession to build the church. Saul goes on to write 13 books in the New Testament, planting more churches than any other disciple, because once he channeled his obsession in the right direction, he became the greatest missionary in in the New Testament But in the beginning, before there was a Paul, there was a Saul. Before there was a changed man, there was a deranged man. and before there could be a changed you, there has to be a recognition that something's not right. Saul was going from house to house, dragging off men and women and children, putting them in prison. There was something about Saul's obsession. He couldn't stand the message of Christ. And as he would do this, the the ministry of at that time called the way, it began to break out. Look at verse four here, Acts chapter eight, verse four, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, there was a scattering. And Philip, one of the disciples went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had to say. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. You know, back in the Bible times, there were demons being driven out of men and women, and it was, it was a normal thing during Jesus's time, during those disciples' time. I've been in other countries where I've seen demon-possessed men and women set free, and you see the deliverance. But in America, demons are very, they're very camouflaged. Demonic possession, it's, very, it's subtle. You don't see it, but I'm telling you, it's still here. And it's time for people to be set free and delivered from demonic Activity in their thoughts, and their hearts, their emotions. Even what we saw in Tulsa two weeks ago, I talked about this, that the man who was deranged going into St. Francis Hospital. Why is the book of Acts so important right now in our church, in our city, in our world? Because it's the reminder that we have a greater authority and power than the darkness of this world. We are not in a battle against brothers and sisters, flesh and blood, against people. We are in a spiritual battle right now. And as these demons came out, people who were paralyzed, lame, they were healed on the spot. And I love verse eight. It says there was great joy in that city. That in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of adversity, verse eight says there was great joy in that city. I believe God wants to bring great joy to Tulsa, Oklahoma. God wants to bring great joy to your house, great joy to your family. And I wanna skip now to Acts chapter nine. This is where we pick up in the rest of Saul's journey. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Acts nine, verse one. So while the church was experiencing revival, there was someone who was angry. Notice that it wasn't a sinner who was angry. It was a religious man. It was a man who actually, he was born in five AD. So he was born during the time when Jesus was alive. He grew up as a teenager, as a young adult. When Jesus was hung on a cross, Saul would have been about 28 years old, 27 years old. Saul had heard the stories, he grew up in Jerusalem, he was taught by a a teacher named Gamaliel. Saul was raised by a mom and dad who were Pharisees. They literally followed the law, they studied the Torah, they memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, not Leviticus, Leviticus, (laughs) Numbers, Leviticus, that's a brand new book that I just, (laughs) Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Saul knew the Bible, he knew God, he thought he was close to God, but he was so far away. It's possible to be raised in church and think you're close to God, but have a warped vision about who God is. Saul thought he was obeying God. Saul thought he saw men, women, children, the way that God saw them. But Saul's vision was blurry. It was blurry. And I think some of us in this room, we don't even realize that our vision has become blurry. It's become like we don't even realize that we're seeing things in a blurry filter. Just for a moment, I want the cameras just, I want you to go blurry for a moment. Just go blurry. If we can create a blurry effect on the screen. Is it blurry? There it is right there. Just what if we left it like this for the rest of the service? You'd be like, what is going on? And, and you don't realize how much you appreciate a sharp vision until it's gone. You don't realize how, how much you appreciate being able to see things clear and sharp until you go through a blurry season. Some of us don't even realize that we're in a blurry season. I've been there before. You don't even know. You're deceived and you don't even, that's the thing about deception is you don't even know you're deceived. Until God sharpens your vision, bring the vision back. Bring the focus back. Bring the clarity back. Bring, bring that focus. There it is. It's sharp again. Everybody say, get your vision back. Get your vision back. Saul was breathing out murderous threats. He had a warped view of God. He was chasing down the Lord's disciples. He was obsessed with killing Christians. He asked for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He said, I'm going to find every Christian there is, everyone who belonged to the way. That was the beginning of Christianity. It was called the way. And he said, I'm going to find every man, woman, child that belongs to the way. And I'm bringing them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul said, who are you, God? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, he said, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, everybody said, get up, get up, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. I wanna stop right there. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Let us leave changed from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would change our vision today. God, that you would renew our eyes, renew our hearts, renew our minds. Lord, renew our love for people around us. Remind us, God, to see people To see ourselves, to see you, to see your church, to see your purpose the way that you see it, God. And I pray, Lord, that today we would leave more encouraged than the way we came in. That we would leave with greater clarity, greater focus, Lord, a greater heart for humanity because of your presence and your word today. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I'll call you back in just a moment. So let's talk about getting our vision back. You know, Saul later on became Paul the apostle and he wrote a book called Ephesians. And he wrote in Ephesians 1 verse 18, a prayer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be enlightened. What was Paul talking about here? He wasn't talking about your natural eyes. He was talking about your spiritual eyes. That you would be able to see the hope that God has for you, that you would be able to recognize the riches of his glorious legacy, his inheritance for his holy people. Why did Paul pray this? Because Paul had an epiphany. Paul had an eye opening experience, an enlightenment. Later on in the book of Acts chapter nine, it says scales fell from Paul's eyes. Something like scales. I looked up, what does that even mean? What does it mean to have scales on your eyes? To me, it means that someone suddenly realizes the truth about something, that someone finally sees the real thing, that they've been deceived about something and the scales begin to fall. It's a common expression indicating a sudden realization, a revelation to to finally see the light, to finally see the truth, to finally have a revelation, oh my goodness, I didn't see it. And your spouse is like, I've been telling you this for a long time. How many of y'all have, have had one of those moments where you finally saw what someone had been trying to, to help you to see for a long time? That's been me. In my life, I've had several revelations. And, uh, and, and my wife is like, praise God. My mom, when I was growing up, praise God. My dad, he would be like, praise God, Paul, you're finally seeing the light. Come on, all of us in this room have had moments where the scales fell from our eyes and we finally saw what we needed to see. There's an interesting fact about the eye, that our eyes are made up of two million working parts, that when God created the human body, the eye is the second most complex part of our body that outside of our brain, the eye composes more parts to it than any other part in our body. The eye is able to process 36,000 pieces of information in a single hour. 36,000 pieces of information. Right now, as you're sitting in this room, you're not just looking at me, you're looking at the stage, you're looking at the podium, you're thinking about things, your eyes are around the room, you're looking at the lights, you're looking at the exit signs, you're looking at the time, you're looking at stuff. Our eyes are taking so much in. And you know, technology has revolutionized our lives and yet it's ravaged our eyes because we were not meant to take in as much information as we take in on a hour by hour, minute by minute basis through apps, through social media, Instagram. Our eyes are constantly taking in more images that the average human eye will see 24 million different images, but that was recorded in 2009. That was prior to the smartphone taking off And when smartphones became full of apps and and everybody started getting them, now it would be close to 48 million images that the human average eye sees. Our eyes determine the quality and the sense of contentment in our life. If the enemy can get in your eyes, this is why Jesus said, protect your eyes. If your eyes cause you to sin, Jesus talked a lot about the eyes being the window to the soul that if your eyes have become darkened in their understanding, if your eyes have become discontent with life, everything begins to be seen through a different filter. I had my sunglasses, and I don't know if they're, they're here. Oh, here they are. Thank you so much, Drew. And um, I was thinking about how you know, when you wear a certain type of sunglasses, if you've got the Top Gun sunglasses like Tom Cruise, you, you've got those big aviator glasses, you see things through a different filter. It's a little bit darker it kind of hides the light, the the, the sun. Yesterday I was rollerblading out on Riverside. Y'all weren't ready for that sentence right there. (laughs) Y'all like, wait, what? You mean biking, running? No, I was rollerblading. People still rollerblade. I think I'm the only guy in Tulsa that still rollerblades, but I was out there. I was rollerblading. I had sunglasses on and, um, And I started hearing horns honking. I was rollerblading between uh, 71st and Lewis and, and Riverside. And I was trying to get down to Riverside. I'm rollerblading past Taco Bell, Brahms, Popeyes Chicken, McDonald's, Starbucks. I start hearing horns honking. I start hearing all kinds of stuff. And I start looking at the road. And next thing I know, I've hit, I've tripped over some sort of thing that was on the sidewalk and I am flailing through the air like Goofy from from Mickey Mouse. I literally, my arms, my legs, and I'm on these rollerblades and I start literally, I almost bit the dust. Praise God, it was a miracle. I didn't fall flat on my face. I didn't have the elbow pads, the shoulder pads. I was just out there. And uh, I lost sight of the right direction. I lost sight of where my eyes needed to be. This is what Proverbs 4, verse 25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. If we were ever in a season for the church to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, it's right now. To keep our eyes focused on truth, it's right now. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And that scripture is good as long as your eyes are good. But even if your eyes are fixed on the right direction, if you don't have the right filter, You can be looking at God, looking at God's plan, his purpose, being in church, and yet seeing things through the wrong lens. Saul was in the temple. He thought he was following God. He was for sure he was obeying God, doing the right thing, and yet he was murdering people, thinking he was pleasing God. He had the wrong vision. And so many of us in this room, we don't even realize it. We've gotten things that have clouded our vision scales that have come over our eyes. While I was out there rollerblading on Riverwalk, or on not Riverwalk, on Riverside, there was a man who was screaming at me yesterday. It was early in the morning, I'm rollerblading, and this guy just starts cussing me out. Blankety, blank you, blank you, blank, da da. And he's like, I hate Talson, he's screaming. And I almost stopped to help him, but then he started running at me, and so I started rollerblading farther. I didn't know if he had a gun or a knife, and... and um, but I was gonna go over there and talk to him and calm him down. And then I was like, this is, I, this is not the right time. So I just started praying for him as I was rollerblading away from him. And, and uh, I started thinking, you know, sometimes when people are, are, are messed up in their mind, it's obvious and that sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it can easily be hidden. It can be sitting in church and you can, you can think, I'm good, I'm right, my mind is right, my emotions are right, I'm in the right direction, I'm doing the right thing. And yet God says there's scales on your eyes, and it's time for scales to come off. It's time for you to get the real God vision for your life. And I wonder what scales might be on your eyes today that you don't even realize. Scales might be on my eyes that God needs to pull off, remove. And I started praying about what scales have clouded so many believers' eyes and minds right now in our world. I want to just look at some of those scales. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. One of the first scales I want to talk about is the scales of shame. Shame. Where you can be sitting in church, but you're wearing these sunglasses. You've got these scales on, and and everything just feels so shameful. I just feel so ashamed. I just feel, feel so embarrassed. I don't want anyone to know what I'm going through. I feel so regretful. I feel so guilty. I just, I'm ashamed of myself. The enemy has caused so many men to live in shame. Shame. So many women to live in shame. If the enemy can keep you in shame, he can keep you in chains because shame holds us back from pursuing with confidence. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But if i filled, if I'm filled with shame and regret, then I don't have the boldness God's called me to walk in. What Saul needed was he needed scales to fall off, not just scales of religiosity, but scales of shame. Secondly, scales of deception Deception is to literally be believing something that's not true, to believe a lie that's not true, to be li- and wh- whatever you believe, you start behaving based off your beliefs. You start living based off of that deceived state of mind, that deception that the enemy creeps in with. Right now, there is a, a, an all-out attack on America, on our world right now to deceive as many people as possible to create as much confusion in young people as possible, to get people to believe a lie from the enemy, that God didn't know what he was doing and he made some sort of mistake with your sexuality, with your gender, with your life, and that God doesn't know. Listen, can I tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. God does not make mistakes. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, and the way he created you, God has a plan for your life, and you might feel like you, you've messed up or you're too far gone, that's a lie so many Christians are falling for the lies of the enemy, deception. The enemy comes in with whispers, little lies, like God can't forgive you. Your sin is too big. You're too messed up. You're born the wrong way. You don't know who you are. God doesn't know who you are. No one can define you. You're going to be one of these people just never knows who you really are. You can know who you are when you know whose you are. You're a child of God. For some, the scales of pride have come over our eyes. I'm never wrong. I'm always right. And my family's always wrong and I'm always right. I know better than my dad. I know better than my mom. Praise God. When I was about, oh, it happened multiple times. But one of the biggest times when I was 19, I spent a summer away from my family and I worked at a camp and as, as I was cleaning toilets and I was cleaning hallways and I was waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning, going to sleep late at night, I shared a room with 12 stinky guys in Maryland and I worked at this camp. And I had an epiphany. I had a revelation. I had an eye-opening, scales-falling-off experience where the Lord broke some pride off of me. And I called my dad and mom. I started crying. I said, I am so thankful that I am your son, and I am so thankful that I have a room. Do I still have a room at your house? (laughs) I'm so thankful for all the food you gave me. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And I found myself in a broken place of humility. Guys, can I tell you, there is a beauty in brokenness. There is a beauty in humility. For some of us, pride has clouded our minds and we are so convinced we're right. And mom and dad are wrong. But today scales are about to fall off in Jesus name. For some, it's scales of fear. We live with fear. We live with fear. So we look at We look at everything and it's, oh goodness, how am I going to make it? Look at the gas prices. Look at the economy. What are we going to do? Look what's going on in the world. We can't even go outside of our houses. We can't go to church. We can't trust anybody. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And fear keeps us trapped. Trapped. And God interrupts Saul on the road to Damascus. And scales begin to fall off. For some, the scales of fear need to fall off. For some, it's hurt. It's hurt hurt from what people did to you, hurt from what the church, it's church hurt, it's family hurt, it's, it's hurt. And God doesn't understand it, really? really? He doesn't understand hurt. He's never been bruised, he's never been crushed, he's never been attacked by church people. You don't think Jesus understands hurt from religious people? He's the only one who knows how to heal. He's the great physician. It is time for scales to fall off. Because the same place, the same area where you've been hurt the worst, God says, that's where I want to bring your greatest healing. And as long as you keep running from it, you'll never experience the healing that only can happen in the presence of God, surrounded by the community of God that is broken and in need of a savior. And you'll never find a perfect church, but you will find a perfect savior who can minister to an imperfect church, who can love, who can work through you if you'll humble yourself. Scales are going to fall, scales of anger. For Saul, he was breathing in murderous thoughts. He was inhaling anger. You owe me. You wronged me. He was breathing in religiosity, hypocrisy. He was born in a Pharisee's family. His mom and dad, they were part of the Pharisee sect. And that that group of people, they were really good at keeping the outside clean while the inside was ugly. You'll never understand the grace of God until you recognize the ugliness of your sin. And you go, well, my sin's not as ugly as these people's sin. No, in God's eyes, all sin is ugly. Whether it's murder, gossip, slander, strife, adultery, all of it, God says sin is ugly. The wages of sin is death. And just because you might think your sin is less uglier than someone else's sin doesn't mean that their sin does not put them in the place or you in the place of need for a savior. We all need the grace of God. We'll never discover the real grace of God until we recognize the ugliness of our own sin. Because grace is a gift. For some, it's the scales of sin, addictive cycles, going back to old sinful habits. For some, it's the scales of hopelessness, defeat, depression. This last week while I was preaching at OSU in Stillwater, the word that God gave me was to break the spirit of depression and suicide off of these teenagers' lives. But when I was in the room, I was watching them uh, uh, play games and there was 800 teenagers. They were smiling, laughing, and I was thinking, They don't need a message about depression. They look so happy. Like, they look like they're doing great. And then I was reminded that oftentimes the face of depression looks like this in front of everybody else. Robin Williams was one of the most funny, happy, smiling comedians. But inwardly, inwardly, some of the the happiest looking people publicly are privately dealing with the greatest demons of depression. And I begin to preach that word, and by the end of the message on Thursday night in Stillwater, there was over 400 teenagers at the altar crying, saying, I've been battling depression, suicide. I've been wanting to throw in the towel. I've been so blinded with hopelessness, defeat, feeling like my best days are behind me, but that night scales begin to fall, and today scales are going to fall. Scales are going to fall. How do you know when someone is in their right mind, when they have the right vision, when they have a God vision, they love people and it's pure. They honor others and it's genuine. They live with compassion because they recognize how much they've been forgiven. They forgive other people. They're peaceful. Not, not that they understand everything. They have a peace that passes all understanding. Where do I get these ideas from? From a guy named Paul, the apostle, who wrote Philippians chapter four? A guy whose mind was transformed when he got a God vision for his life. When he finally started to see God for who he was, he started writing things like 1 Corinthians 13 love is patient with people. Love forbears. Love keeps no record of wrongs. He started writing things like Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Think on things that are pure and lovely and heavenly. Think about such things. I've learned the secret to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How do you know when someone has a God vision, they have a right mindset. He wrote to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you scales of fear and anxiety and depression. Take those, those glasses off. He's given you power, love, and a sound mind. So let's go back to that story in Acts chapter nine, Saul lost his natural vision, but he was gaining a supernatural vision Back in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, the road to demask us. The road to Damascus. Some of us have been wearing a mask. It's time to take the mask off. How many are thankful to take the mask off? But I'm not talking about the mask you might think I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mask we wear to church, the mask we wear to try to hide what's really going on on the road to damask us. God interrupts Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I remember when I was a little boy and, and my sister, Sarah and Ruthie, we were all hanging out. We, we all used to literally bombard my mom and dad when they were going to the bathroom. And we would now, now I'm getting a harvest on all the seeds that I sowed. All of our kids just never leave me and Ashley alone. We got five kids under the age of eight, pray for us. But you know, I remember during one of those times we were bombarding my mom and she's got the door locked and I start pulling Sarah's hair. I think I started pulling Ruthie's earring and she goes, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) That's, that's the, the joys of growing up in a pastor's home. We just quoted scriptures to each other. And we said a lot of other words too. But I remember, I remember moments in my life where God interrupted me and said, Paul, why are you thinking this way? I'm so thankful for the interruptions of God. I'm so thankful that God loves us even while we were still sinners. And God loves us after salvation, even when we still miss it. Because how many of y'all know after salvation, you're still a work in progress? Anyone still being sanctified in the room? About half of us are going to be honest. The rest of y'all can come to the altar at the end of service. And the men traveling with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. Sometimes God has to take away your natural sight so he can restore to you spiritual sight. Sometimes God leads us in a dark season. For three days, Saul was blind in verse nine. It says, and he didn't eat or drink anything. He was, his appetite was changing. Have you ever gone through a dark season in your life where you just lost the appetite to eat for a little bit? Anyone been there before where you've been so, it's like whatever just happened, it's like, I can't even eat right now. And, and, and Saul had lost his appetite. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He was blind for three days. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias. He said, yes, Lord. He said, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man named from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard about Saul. This man is not a good man. This man has hurt my friends. This man has killed my brother, Stephen. This man does not deserve to be healed. Who are we to determine who God will use and who God will forgive, and who God can restore, and who God can redeem. What if you are Ananias and God's saying, pray for your brother? Lay hands on your brother. Andrew, can I borrow you just for a moment? Andrew, would you just place your hands right here on my eyes? This is what Ananias did. He put his hands on his brother's eyes, and he said, brother Saul, brother Saul, See, God has anointed people in your life. Some of you have been anointed to bring forgiveness, healing, and restoration to another brother. Don't limit what God wants to do through you. Some of you here today are Saul, and you need some scales to fall off. But some of you are Ananias, and God says, don't don't hold back what I've put inside you to pray for that other brother. Don't stop praying for Saul. Don't stop praying for the scales to fall off. See, God has anointed some of you to come right here. And this is what happened. Ananias starts praying for him. And he starts saying, Saul, you're about to get your vision back, but it's going to be better than it was before. God's going to use you. Your best days are in front of you. God's not finished with your story. God's not finished with your future. God's not going to judge you for your past. God's going to give you something brighter. He forgives you. He loves you, Saul. He's removing the scales of self-righteousness. He's removing the scales of pride. He's going to help you to see men, women, and children the way that he sees them. He's about to break off those self-destructions habits, those sinful cycles you've been going back to, that obsessive personality, he's about to channel it in a better direction, he's going to use you to plant churches, he's going to use you to preach the gospel, he's going to use you to write while you're in prison the world won't be able to stop you Saul, you're about to, you're going to get a song inside you, you're going to be able to sing while you're in prison, they're going to try to stone you to death, but you're going to rise up, see, when Ananias started praying, all of a sudden Saul started to see what he needed to see Mother Teresa said, we have very little room to love people when we judge people. And who's to know that someday down the road, Ananias won't need somebody to lay hands on him. See, grace always seems unfair until we need it. It always seems undeserving when someone we think doesn't deserve it, gets it. And then all of a sudden we're like, hold up, I need grace. And God says to Ananias, go, I know you've heard rumors about Saul, but go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. God was telling Ananias, this man has a purpose. I'm about to redeem him. I'm about to give him a greater vision. I'm about to channel his obsessive personality in a better direction. And I'm about to show him how much he has to suffer. Ananias is like, he's gonna suffer? All right, I'm in. I love reading the Bible. (laughs) And he's like, he's going to go through pain. Okay, I'll go and pray for him. (laughs) I want the band to come out. Here's the truth. Four truths here. Number one, we all have scales. We all have scales. And we all have moments in our lives where we need the scales to come off of our eyes. It's not just a one-time descaling event in a Christian's life. It is a constant journey. I remember sitting with my dad in the hospital bed before he passed, And he just started weeping. And he said, I didn't rest as much as I should have. And I'm finally seeing it. Here was a man at 57 who was having scales fall off. And you think you don't have scales that can fall off? You think you got it all figured out? And yet the pastor who started this amazing ministry in his final moments was still experiencing a revelation of God's love. You know what it said to me as a son is we're never too big to be humble. You should never apologize to your kids. What if apologizing to your kids is the only way your kids are gonna understand the mercy and the grace and the love and the compassion and the humility of our savior, Jesus Christ. And like Johnny said, what if our example is in what we do? more than what we preach from stage? What if it's what we do in our dying breaths to say, I'm sorry. I see it now. I see it. I see there's some things that God's changing in me. How many of you are still experiencing the change that Jesus wants to bring in your life? Here's the truth. Number one, we all have scales that need to be removed. Number two, we all need Jesus to keep working in our lives beyond just salvation. Number three, Jesus loves us even when we're wrong before salvation and after he loves you. Not just while you were a sinner before you got saved, but he loves you when you got saved and you still missed it. He says, I still love you and I still want to heal you and I still wanna redeem you, and I still wanna restore you. I remember watching a movie about Rich Mullins, a famous Christian singer-songwriter, and the movie, I think, was called Ragamuffin Gospel, and it was the story of how Rich got saved, scales fell off his eyes, he wrote beautiful songs, and then his life spiraled down again into hurt, pain, addictions, depression, suicidal thoughts, anger towards his own earthly father. And a preacher named Brennan Manning just began to speak into Rich's life, begin to love him as he ministered to the Navajo Indian tribe. And as Rich would be out there on the reservation, listening to Brennan, feeding the hungry, helping those that were hurting, but dealing inwardly with addictive cycles and sin cycles, as a singer songwriter in Christian radio music and known as the guy who wrote our God is an awesome God and step by step he leads me, yet inwardly he was hurting. God continued to reveal his love to him. God continued to chase after him. God never stops loving you. God never stops pursuing you. God never gives up on you. Everyone else might give up on you, but God doesn't. Number four, Jesus wants to set us free. At salvation and continue that freedom through salvation after Saul became Paul life didn't get much easier for him he pursued God's calling on his life but he still dealt with hurts wounds rejection people who didn't believe he was really changed people who judged him for his past As Paul continued his missionary journeys, he would get accused of all kinds of stuff. He got stoned to death once, bit by a snake, left for dead by his brothers and sisters, lowered in a basket outside of a a city wall. He was imprisoned, he was beaten. He walked through all kinds of pain and trials, but yet he found and discovered the mercy, the grace, the freedom that came through knowing Jesus as his personal savior. How did Jesus change Saul's life? How do we get our vision back? Number one, it's the light of Jesus. When the light shines, the darkness cannot overcome it. When the light shone on the road to Damascus, Saul had an epiphany. He had a revelation. He had an eye-opening experience where he recognized, Jesus, you are my savior. I've been in church my whole life. I've heard about you. I've read about you. I've listened to great sermons about you, but now I see the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. Number two, the words of Jesus. When Jesus began to speak to Saul. Saul, I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. Number three, the deliverance of Jesus. How do we get our vision back? He delivers us. the oppression of the enemy some of us need to be delivered today we need to get our vision our perception delivered number four the purpose of jesus he gives us purpose We, we need to get a vision of god the purpose of god that god put me on earth for such a time as this that he doesn't make mistakes See, God speaks a greater word. You might have been labeled as a sinner, as a failure, as a mistake. You might feel like you've missed it too bad, but God speaks a greater word over you. The blood of Jesus forgives you. God restores you. God can help you. God can redeem you. Every man should have the chance to write a new obituary midstream to change his life. To say from this day forward i'm no longer walking in that direction i'm walking in this direction how many are thankful for the grace of god and the last point here is god changes our vision through the people of jesus god used ananias a brother to go and lay hands on him In verse 17 ananias went to the house and entered it in damascus placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, brother Saul, brother Paul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. I'm so thankful for men and women. I'm so thankful for pastors and leaders who will put their hand and say, Paul, God has a plan for you. Daniel, John, Antonio, Sarah, Ruthie, Sharon, Ashley, Miriam, Troy, God has a plan for you. Derek, God has a plan. Linda, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, for your business, for your company, for your future, for your legacy. And he says this, he says, I have heard about you. God appeared to you on the road and he sent me so that you will will see again. And be filled with the holy spirit be filled with a greater vision immediately something like scales fell from saul's eyes and he could see he could finally see he got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength would you stand your feet all over this place today i want us to sing the song amazing grace i don't know where dom and jeremiah and the other guys are but i want you to come out here we're going to sing amazing grace and we're going to sing that part at the end of amazing grace where He says, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Today, I I want God to do a new work. If you would, just close your eyes all over this place. Maybe you're here right now and you just say, man, I need to see what God sees. I need to see people the way he sees them. I need to see myself the way he sees me. Not as a mess up, not as a mistake, not as someone who seems to never get it right, but as a child of God that he loves. He's a good father. He cares about you. He's not confused about you. You don't have to be confused about yourself. You don't have to be angry at everyone around you. God can change your heart from a stony heart to a soft heart. He can change your vision from a blurry vision that you've been looking at people in the world. And your own life, you've been looking at the mirror with a blurry vision. You've seen yourself through the wrong lens. And God says, I see you as wonderfully, fearfully made. You are beautiful. You're a mighty man of God. You're a child of God. You're forgiven. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. From this day forward, things can change. You can get better. You can bring healing. You can bring hope. You can be forgiven. You can walk in kindness. You can get your heart healed again. You don't have to carry those emotional wounds and scars with you everywhere you go. God says, I can heal that. I can heal that too. I can heal the hurt that you experienced from the church, from other people, from friends, from family. I can change your sight. I can change your vision. I can change what's been happening in your heart. I can heal the relationship that's been wounded, the bridge that's been broken. God says, I can restore what the enemy tried to steal. Saul, it's time for scales to fall off. All over this room and those watching online, if you're here today and you just say, I need God to remove some scales from my eyes. I need God to change some areas in my heart. All over this room, if that's you, just raise your hand from the front to the back. Hands going up all over this place. You're saying, Lord, change me change me. God, renew my vision. Renew my mind, my heart. It's a beautiful thing when believers humble themselves and say, Lord, start with me. Work in me. Here's what I want us to do today. Instead of praying specifically for hands that were raised, and there were many hands raised today, I just fill in my heart this Father's Day weekend to pray for all the men in the room. Because men, it starts with us if we can carry that heart of God into our houses, if we can let God work in our minds and our hearts and allow him to work in us and through us. And I I wanna call not just fathers today, but every man in the room, if you're 12 years old, 10 years old, 95 years old, I want us to pray as men, to worship as men, to lead by example. If you're willing to humble yourself today to say, God, I want you to keep working in me and through me as a mighty man of God. I want you to join me at this altar today. Every man that's willing to come down and say, God, I want you in my life. I'll be the first one down here at the altar today to say, God, work in me. Amazing grace. Let's just sing that song. The
1: Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rich like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but
0: now I see. Let's sing that one more time Amazing Grace.
1: Amazing Grace. Grace. Come on, man, How let's just to begin, begin to worship God. Now. He saved a wretch like He set me free. Life.
0: y'all are thankful for the amazing grace of God my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me
1: mercy raised love amazing grace
0: Lord we thank you for your grace God we thank you for your strength we thank you that we were blind but now we see we were lost but now we're found Lord you've ransomed us you've redeemed us you've forgiven us you've saved us by your grace, God, you continue to work in us and through us. God, we thank you today for fresh strength for every father in the room, fresh grace for every head of the household. I thank you, God, that you've anointed men for such a time as this to be strong in the Lord, to restore sight to the blind. Lord, to bring healing to those that are hurt. God, I thank you, Lord, that you would use us as mighty men of God in the workplace. That, Lord, when we go out this week, when we go into our homes, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're with our families, God, that you would help us to walk in love. Help us, Lord, from Saul to Paul, from hatred to love, from anger to forgiveness, from impatience to patience. Lord, from greed and lack and fear to a place of generosity and God, compassion and faith, faith faith-filled actions this week. Lord, use us to be a blessing this week with our words. God, where we have sowed words that have been hurtful, help us to sow words this week that'll bring help and healing and love and kindness. Lord, I pray that you would use the mighty men of victory to change the city of Tulsa. God, I thank you, Lord, that it starts in our hearts. God, we surrender to you. We say, have your way. Just say this with me all over this room. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Have your way. In my life, I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, your salvation, your righteousness in me flowing through me. Let your love fill my heart. Thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus washes away all my sin, heals my heart and the hurt. I choose to forgive. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.